You are now listening to the E-Watchman Podcast with your host, Robert King. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Watchman's Post podcast. This is episode number 75, and it's also being produced as a vodcast and uploaded to YouTube. So for those of you who want to see me sitting here, (laughs) uh, hello, YouTube. Uh, This program was recorded in the middle of March, I'm going to call it, before spring, in the year 2017. If this is your first time listening or viewing, (laughs) I answer listeners and readers' questions. And uh, this time, it seems that the questions are kind of uh, tailing off. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that means that I've answered everything that... uh, needs to be answered. I'm joking, of course. But anyway, I uh, I have a couple of questions here, and I thought, yeah, I'm feeling a little bit talkative today, so uh, maybe I'll make a program out of these two questions. I tried to do like a half-hour program, so uh, we'll see how it goes. His first question here, I'm assuming it's a he, It says, can we assume that the eight symbolic kings in Revelation are each successors of the other with no time in between uh, where none of them are ruling? And then he asks, could this explain the time gap between the Roman Empire and the USA? Okay. Yeah, I think think it's safe to say that uh, each empire secedes the other. And of course the watchtowers laid that all out and I I have no um, disagreement with it except for <laughs> except for the eighth king. And I'll get into that. But of course there have been many other empires, but the seven empires that the Bible lists are those that have had direct dealings with those who are or were God's people, those who were in some type of uh, covenant with him or were to be. As in the case of uh, the Israelites in Egypt, um, they weren't in a covenant then until Moses led them out, but of course, Jehovah had made a covenant with their forefather Abraham and promised him that his descendants would inherit the promised land. And yet they found themselves in slavery in Egypt. So that was a direct confrontation. Of course, Jehovah led them out with the ten plagues and so forth. Then there was Assyria, Babylon. Both of those uh, invaded Israel and Judah 
respectively. And then there was the Medo-Persian Empire. And it didn't invade the Promised Land, but it actually released the Jews from captivity and helped them to uh, rebuild. And then after, of course, the Medo-Persian Empire was the Grecian Empire and the Roman Empire. And historians date the fall of the Roman Empire around 540, something like that. The uh, Germans sacked the city of Rome, and that was the end of the formal Roman Empire. Well, what happened to it? Well, it sort of shape-shifted into various forms. Uh, the other half of the church had split off and was located in what is now um, Turkey. Istanbul formerly was Byzantine. Uh, it wasn't destroyed at that time, and it survived for many hundreds of years afterwards. But from within the wreckage of that Roman system came the Venetian Empire. And then around uh, 800 came the Franc, the Charlemagne, who established the so-called Holy Roman Empire. And of course, Europe at that time was nothing like it is now. There weren't nation states. It was hundreds of little tribes, fiefdoms, and it was ruled over by this so-called feudal system. But then as the nation states began to emerge, then various other competing colonial empires came into existence, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the French and the Dutch, they were all competing until basically the British Empire ascended in the latter 1700s and dominated all during the 1800s into the 20th century. And it's interesting in the seventh chapter of Daniel, it depicts this unusually fierce wild beast with ten horns. So it shows that that Roman beast would have many different types of kingdoms ruling within that imperial system. And history is, is borne that out to be the case. But uh, Daniel's vision showed an 11th horn coming up, right? After the first 10. And it plucks out three of the 10 horns. So momentarily, there is an 11-horned beast, <laughs> but then three of those others are removed. And of course, the Watchtower says that that happened over a period of a couple of hundred years, That, uh, beginning with the, at the end of the 1600s, the Spanish Armada was destroyed, basically not by the British, but by violent windstorms in the North Atlantic. And... Uh, over a period of a couple hundred years, as I say, the British also defeated the Dutch and the French. So supposedly those were the three horns that were plucked out. But uh, now the thing about Bible prophecy that we should really bear in mind, Jehovah doesn't do parlor tricks. You know, he... It's not, not like Nostradamus. He wants to impress us with his ability to, you know, foretell trivial events. No, but prophecy centers around Christ. 
Isn't that what says in Revelation, the bearing witness to Jesus is what inspires prophesying? So all the prophecies deal with, in most cases, the coming of Christ to the earth in the first century or to his second coming. And that is certainly the case with the prophecy of the wild beast with ten horns, because it is ultimately slain by the Son of Man. So it is highly unlikely that Jehovah would refer to events that preceded the coming of Christ and his kingdom by hundreds of years. No, but I, I've tried to reset our anticipation to the future, to three nations being humiliated by a soon-to-arise last king. And I think that little horn that ascends and grows greater and greater, an 11th horn, is the same as the 8th king. Because what's it say in Revelation? The 8th king springs from the 7. And the 10 kings, representing all the kingdoms of the world at that time, give their authority to that 8th king for one hour, for a relatively short period of time. Again, the Watchtower claims that the Eighth King came into existence with the League of Nations, uh, 1922, I suppose. Uh, but there are a lot of problems with that. Uh, namely, <laughs> the United States, the foremost uh, nation of the time after World War I, the United Nations was not even a member of the League of Nations. The United States Senate refused to ratify it. It, it was Woodrow Wilson's baby. I mean, he wanted the United States in it, and the Senate said, no, we don't want to be entangled, and we, we've had it with the foreign war, World War I, that was it. Uh, we're, we're isolationist. That's why Donald Trump's driving them crazy now, because he has that, that old mentality, the old American outlook that, you know, let them fight their wars and we'll put America first. Oh. So anyway, uh, and plus, Revelation says that all authority was given to this wild beast, that it should make everyone worship it and uh, receive its mark. And those who do not cannot buy or sell, and uh, they're faced with the punishment of death for not giving their allegiance to the beast. Well, how could that have been the case with the League of Nations? And why would Jehovah put anyone to death permanently for supposedly giving their allegiance to this impotent organization, which really had no authority? It's really all part of uh, an elaborate mythology, really, a delusion that uh, the Watchtower has perpetrated uh, to, to uphold this this myth that Christ Jesus began ruling the world in 1914 and that his invisible presence has been ongoing since then. Yeah, I've written um, quite a bit. I continue to write every day. If, if you're not familiar with uh, my website, eWatchman.com, I try to write every day uh, 
either a daily commentary based upon the Watchtower's um, daily text, or I uh, I just write other things. Right now I'm doing a series um, providing answers to 60 questions that <laughs> some Trinitarian has posed for Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, that's that's the irony, really, that I believe that Jehovah's Witnesses are the true faith. I believe that Jehovah's Witnesses have accurate knowledge and understand the truth and that they are doing God's work of preaching the kingdom around the world, as Jesus said, would would happen. However, <laughs> they're completely out to lunch or off base, whatever metaphor you want to use, when it comes to understanding prophecy. And as I said, prophecy centers on the coming of Christ, in this case, the second coming of Christ. And Paul wrote in his second letter to the Thessalonians in the second chapter about a phony parousia that would be put in place by a man of lawlessness. And Paul warned the brothers do not be shaken from your reason or quickly alarmed as regards the presence and these authoritative announcements and even the letters as though from us, apostolic-like letters saying that the day of Jehovah is here. And Paul said it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness gets revealed. And Paul went on to say that this man of lawlessness is due to the operation of Satan with every powerful work and lying sign and wonder at, to back up this delusion. Paul said God allows this deluding influence to go to those who know the truth otherwise, but to see if they love the truth. As I say, Jehovah's Witnesses know the truth. They know the truth about Jehovah, about what his kingdom is, the difference between him and his son, for sure. Uh, but it's, it's easy to follow men, isn't it? That was a problem the Corinthians had, you know. Paul had to take them to task. Some said they belonged to Apollo, some to Cephas, some to Jesus, some to Paul. <laughs> Paul had to remind them, look, I didn't die for you, did I? And you weren't baptized in my name. Well, people are people, aren't they? We have the same infirmities as those first century Christians, and we're prone to follow men. And in this case, for Jehovah's Witnesses, it's the Watchtower. And let's don't lose sight of the issue. And there's a recent Watchtower I'm not sure what month it is, but it uh, it's exhorting Jehovah's Witnesses to do that very thing, not to lose sight of the issue before us of Jehovah's universal sovereignty. And, of course, it goes back to the man Job. And uh, you remember the accusation Satan the devil made. And basically, he accused God of bribing Job to follow him, to be loyal to him, which coincidentally is exactly what the devil did to Jesus. 
you know, if you fall down and do an act of worship to me, I'll give you everything. But the only way that question could be answered in the case of Job is if Jehovah took it all away. And he allowed Satan to set the smoking gun, you might say, <laughs> right by the hand of God. I mean, what else was Job supposed to think? You know, lightning comes and kills his <laughs> a windstorm, collapses his house on, on his children, and, you know, marauders steal everything and kill his servants. And uh, what was he supposed to think? But Jehovah's Witnesses are still faced with that same issue, and Jehovah is determined to settle it with finality, which means that he has to allow a severe test of our faith to take place. And we should view it as a privilege to be able to, to go through that and to to be loyal. In this case, the severe test will be when everything the Watchtower has taught as regards the coming of Christ will be discredited. For example, the Watchtower has stated in the reasoning book under last days, uh, conversation stoppers or whatever, what if someone says, well, can't there be another world war that would fulfill the sign that Jesus said, nation rise? And the answer is no, because another world war would likely be nuclear, and that would destroy all life on earth. Well, they're certainly correct, <laughs> obviously. A, a full-scale nuclear war could destroy all life on earth easily. Uh, even a fairly limited nuclear war could create what they call a nuclear winter where it's, you know, dust-filled atmosphere for years and years and no crops will grow. And, you know, after a few years, you've run out of food. And so there you go. But what did Jesus say about the tribulation? He said, unless those days are cut short... No flesh will be saved. The tribulation is not Armageddon. The tribulation is a man-made catastrophe. What else could it be but a nuclear war that threatens to wipe out all flesh? And Jesus said, unless God cut it short, there would be no survivors. So we're talking about a future war. And the nations are surely headed that way. Everyone can see it. Just Jehovah's Witnesses don't, <laughs> don't have any anticipation of such a thing because the Watchtower said it can't happen. So, the stage is set for your faith to be tested. And, okay, it, yeah, the other part of his question here, in Revelation 7, it talks about a great crowd who would survive the Great Tribulation. This is what I'm talking about. However, it seems that the death and destruction isn't over until much later on in the book of Revelation. How do we know that a great crowd survives these later things as well? Well, 
because God said so, right? The seventh chapter of Revelation shows the two groups, the 12 tribes of what we call spiritual Israelites and then this other group, a great crowd that comes out of the Great Tribulation. So the whole point is that there comes a time when God gathers everyone into an organization that will inherit everlasting life. So when it shows the 12,000 from the 12 tribes, that's depicting that everyone has been gathered. God has his 144,000 in place, that everyone on the earth at that time has been sealed, meaning no matter what happens, they will always be faithful to God into death and then changed in the twinkling of an eye to inherit the kingdom. And those on the earth that are of this great crowd, he says they're going to survive the tribulation. So we have to believe that God will protect them from what is to occur, especially at, at Armageddon when the nations are finally uh, obliterated. Thank you for your question, and I'm, uh, I'm sorry that question was in my bag for some weeks. <laughs> he emailed me a couple of times saying, hey, did you get my... I'm sorry about that, and that's... Uh, you have to bear with me. I, I have certain limitations, and... Uh, Things pile up on me. Sometimes I don't respond to emails in a timely fashion. Uh, let me just say this, though. If you make your questions or comments short, I'm more likely to respond to them because sometimes I get rather long emails and I read part of them and I say, well, I'll set this aside for another time. I don't really devote, you know, 10 minutes or 15 minutes to this right now. And other emails come in and sometimes they don't get back, so... Uh, bear with me as Jehovah bears up with all of us. Right? Okay, another question on the book of Revelation and Daniel. So, um, I'm gratified that um, people are finding this interesting. It's always captured my interest. You know, I, I, I would say that um, when I first came in contact with the literature of Jehovah's Witnesses. I, I came across their literature uh, before I actually had face-to-face, -face, and uh, I was absorbed. Somebody gave me just a crate of old Watchtower books from the 60s and 70s. This is back in the early 70s, and uh, I, I devoured them. I, I've read, you know, the Babylon the Greatest Fallen, I don't know how many, 700 pages or something, uh, the Finnish Mystery, and the Nations Will Know That I'm Jehovah and all all those books on Daniel and uh, uh, Revelation. So anyway, that's always been my my special interest. So anyway, he says, I was reading the book of Revelation last week, and I also read the book of Daniel yesterday, and I noticed something that I'd missed all the many times I've read those books. And he says, Revelation 11, 2 and 3 talks about the 1,260 days, also 42 months, three and a half times, or years. He says, I think maybe Daniel was talking about the same events in the eighth chapter. But what I found surprising is the verses in chap chapter 8, verses 13 and 14, talk about 2,300 days. 
And in another place in the book of Daniel, it seems that the prophet is talking about the same things in Revelation. And he's referring to Daniel chapter 12, verse 11 through 12. And his question is, are the 1,290 days and the 1,335 days, what's, what's the connection with the 1,260 days of Revelation? Well, I have to say that's a good question. And unfortunately, it's not something I have the answer to right now. And I don't think anyone can answer it correctly for the simple reason is, as the angel said there in the 12th chapter of Daniel, he told Daniel, seal up the book until the time of the end. Well, of course, Jehovah's Witnesses believe the time of the end began in 1914. But if that were true, then we would know all of these things. And, of course, the Watchtower uh, pretends that it does, actually. <laughs> but take, take one example. Of course, the, the Watchtower has written, you know, that keep, keep considering Daniel's prophecy or keep paying attention, whatever. And it, it identified first Nazi Germany and then the Soviet Union as the king of the north. And it explained the whole last part of the 11th chapter of Daniel in relation to the Soviet Union. And then in 1922, <laughs> excuse me, 1992, I believe it was 92, maybe 93. Anyway, the Soviet Union went belly up. It just dissolved. No war, no revolution. It just said, Boop, we're done. <laughs> so who is the king of the North now? Well, <laughs> when the society wrote their pay attention book, I believe in 99, they said, we don't know. And it's wise not to speculate. So how can that be? We do not know. If the book was unsealed in 1914, why do not they know who the king of the north is? And they haven't commented on it in you know, all these years, almost 20 years. So that's, that's where we stand. I believe the time of the end is yet to begin. And it doesn't stretch over 100 years. It's... Three and a half years. <laughs> the three and a half year period begins after the head of the wild beast is slaughtered. The first questioner said, is there any time in between the ruling empires? And I said, no, but we'd have to qualify that with yes, for an indeterminate period when there is no ruling power on this earth. That is going to be a scary time, my friends. It's talking about the collapse of the present system, the Anglo-American-ruled global system is going to cease to exist as if it had died, if it had received a sword stroke, if it, as if it's got its head lopped off. And uh, what do we do? How oh, you know... <laughs> And that's, that's, that's when it begins, because this beast will miraculously come back to life. It will recover from that mortal wound, and that begins the 1,260-day period when it goes to war against the Holy Ones, 
and kills them, it says. If the two witnesses are killed and their bodies are on the Broadway. All the watchtowers say, well, yeah, that happened. Russell and Rutherford, he, he, yeah. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. But people believe it because it, it, it's this powerful delusion that Jehovah has allowed Satan to perpetrate. But when this beast dies by the sword, through warfare, no doubt, financial collapse, uh, that'll be, you know, a wake-up call. So there is one thing, though, about the eighth chapter of Daniel, about the, the 2,300 days. The questioner said Daniel talks about 2,300 days. He actually doesn't. If you reread that, it's written sort of strangely, awkwardly. It says 2,300 mornings and evenings. Well, that's, that's sort of an odd way to talk about a day, isn't it? Mornings and evenings. Each day has a morning and an evening, right? It sort of goes back to uh, Genesis, where during God's epical, creative days, it says there came to be morning and there came to be evening. Uh, so... It seems to me that because there are two mornings and evenings, one of each, right, that the 2,300 days is sort of a, an enigmatic way of saying 1,150 days since one morning and one evening equal one day. So I think that's just sort of an encryption. So the 1,150 days is much closer to the, the other numbers. Now, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm certain that the 1,260 days begins when the system collapses and comes back to life. And then these other related figures, the 1,290 days, 1,335 days, there are other things that, will occur in that time period. And it, it is similar to uh, the life of Jesus. He died, of course, on the Passover, and then three days later, he was resurrected. Forty days later, he ascended back to heaven. Fifty days after that was Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. So I expect something like that also to fulfill these various time periods. The final sealing, perhaps, and then when the last Holy One is resurrected after their death, then the kingdom is complete. And I don't know. But I think, uh, well... Let's be there and find out, yeah? But great questions. I'm glad you're uh, roving about in the book of Daniel, as it says. I don't know if you can hear that car going by, but... Uh... Hey, what are you doing, Jones? Come here. This is Mr. Jones. 
I know you can't see him on the podcast, but this is my fat cat. He is just... We picked him up as a stray about three winters ago. He's just a tiny little thing mewing at the door. Now look at him. Anyway. I, I love cats, but I'm allergic to them. So I, <laughs> I put this stuff on him about every two or three days because you, know, you want a little factoid if you're allergic to cats. It's not their fur and it's not their dander. You know what it is? It's their saliva. Their saliva is really caustic, and um, of course, they're licking themselves all the time, and the uh, saliva kind of fluffs off into the air, and it really irritates some people's respiratory systems. I'm, I'm one of those. But anyway, um, Jones earns his keep here. I mean, we're in this farmhouse with an old uh, stone basement, and rodents are constantly burrowing in, and... Uh, he is, he is a killer boy. I don't know what his, his count is up to now, but it's uh, dozens. <laughs> anyway, I got off the track here. Um, I get questions and if on comments, on posts, and YouTube, and I appreciate the question. People ask, are Jehovah's Witnesses the only ones that are going to be saved? And, of course, that question springs from people who have loved ones and friends and family and so many others that are not associated with Jehovah's Witnesses. And it's unfortunate that so many of Jehovah's Witnesses have <laughs> abandoned their faith because of so many of the stumbling blocks. But I'm afraid I... I would have to say yes to that question. Are Jehovah's Witnesses the only ones who are going to be saved? Jesus said that, you know, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and expel demons in your name and do many powerful works in your name? And yet he will confess to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you workers of lawlessness. So that's pretty harsh words, huh? I never knew you. Meaning he, he, he did not recognize any of the things they did in his name. Jesus this, Jesus, oh, we love you, Jesus, hallelujah, praise the Lord, and all of that. Um, but then Jesus qualified it. He said, but the one doing the will of my Father who is in heaven will receive life. So that's, that's the thing, isn't it? Doing Jehovah's will. And for the most part, Jehovah's Witnesses are trying to do that. And the Watchtower is trying to assist them to do that, to be no part of the world, to, uh, to have a ministry. And Paul said, woe to me if I do not preach the good news. So that is Jehovah's will. Can we say we're doing Jehovah's will if we don't speak about our faith and try to share it with others and tell them about the future and what is to come? So, but I will qualify it that when things 
uh, begin to occur, when the judgment occurs, I believe Jehovah in his mercy will uh, allow those to who know something about him. I mean, we have to have some knowledge because when when the war begins, when when the system crashes, that's it for the ministry of Jehovah's Witnesses. You're not going to have someone coming knocking on your door asking if you'd like to have a free home Bible study, and they will tutor you for months and help you to understand what Jehovah's will is for you to survive. Uh, the book of Joel lays it all out. Uh, by the way, if you again, if you're new, I've written a book some years ago, back in 2005. I updated it in 2010, and just recently updated a third edition. It's called Jehovah Himself Has Become King. Um, I'll put a link here, but I go through many of the um, prophets, not the large ones because it would take too big of a book, but the book of Joel is a chapter in the book. And I've written also uh, other articles on E. Watchman, uh, commentaries on the meaning of the book of Joel. And it is <laughs> nothing like what the Watchtower teaches. Anyway, um, so we have to have some sort of basis, connection with the truth before. That's why Paul said, today is the day of salvation. The book of Zephaniah, second chapter, seek Jehovah, seek meekness, seek righteousness before that day comes upon you, before the day of my burning anger. So we don't want to be one of those, hey, Lord, Lord, I, I kind of knew something about you. I, I, I read, you know, some Watchtower literature. I kind of knew something. Today is the day of salvation, and we can't really control what other people do, can we? Uh, but we can control what we do and direct our own lives. And um, I'm just sort of out here in the wilderness to <laughs> try to redirect a few straying souls as doing what I can. Anyway, I, uh, I suppose that's it for me. And I do want to. I want to thank you, those of you who have um, pledged money to my little campaign here on the podcast page on eWatchman. There's a little um, thing on the right, uh, left-hand column, uh, that you can do a monthly pledge of a dollar or five dollars or whatever your budget will allow. I, you know, I don't like to solicit money, but I originally uh, was able to spend a lot more promoting my website in years past, doing pay-per-clicks and different things, but uh, the well has kind of run dry <laughs> on that. And so, um, but as it stands, your pledge actually almost exactly covers what I pay in monthly web hosting fees for my various websites. I have uh, website in Spanish, two two Spanish sites actually, one for the book and one for some of the articles on eWatchman. And there's a French version of the book, and um, the book is online. If uh, the second edition, anyway. Anyway, 
Thank you for your pledge. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And thank you, Mr. Jones, for all your rodent catching activity. And we will speak to you again soon. Give me your questions, and that'll help prime the, the pump for the next show. And until then, may Jehovah bless your search for the truth. Thank you.